uh, this uh, this hour uh, going to be a pretty good hour. Last n- the next couple of hours, uh, you don't want to miss a second of today's uh, program. Fourth hour is going to be terrible today, though. We do not. We're not going to put any time into it at horrible. all. Yeah. Well, we're still having meetings trying to figure out how to add another hour. <laughs> We've been wanting to expand the show yeah. for many, many decades. <laughs> Remember and- when, Joe, when Joe Scarborough, yes. when he was being taken <laughs> off the air? Um, he had a two-hour show, and he's like, "We're we're not being fired. We're going not on hiatus. We're going on hi- hiatus. We're trying to figure out how to add a third hour to the show." And we were all like, "Just do it, right? You could just, just, just do it if they wanted it. You could just do it. Keep the microphones on. You know, yeah, it's not that hard, Joe. It's uh, I mean, not you know, what do I know? Radio Hall of Fame. What do I know? Now you're going to be shocked to hear they're still on that hiatus. They never still, were they able to never figure figured out, it out how to do that third hour. Huh, that uh, is. It was such a good show too. And <laughs> such a long break now. I don't know that people would even. Yeah, remember. that is weird. A lot of people in radio come up with really interesting reasons why their careers fell apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's one of my favorites of all time. Mm-hmm. We couldn't figure out how to do more, so we did none. <laughs> Boy, don't you wish Washington would do that? Yeah. Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. As I'm thinking about what I'm about to talk about here, my mouth has gone a little bit dry. I want to share something deeply, deeply personal, uh, but I think it's important uh, that you know it in 60 seconds. So, Glenn Beck program. Garrett, a listener of the program who lives in South Carolina, heard himself a while back while he was lifting heavy boxes. I mean, right? That's why you have teenagers. Anyway, um, he uh, was lifting boxes, hurt himself. He had been hearing me talk about Relief Factor every day on the radio for over a year. And it took him that long to decide, okay, maybe this guy will shut up if I just take it. Well, you know the story. After a few weeks, he began to notice the pain going away. Within a month or two, he said, I am out of pain. These days, he can lift up to 50 pounds. Some people never learn. What are you doing, Garrett? Get yourself a teenager. Relief Factor. It's not a drug developed by doctors, and about 70% of the people who try it go on to order more. You can now order the three-week quick start for only $19.95, so you really don't have anything to lose. It's Relief Factor. ReliefFactor.com or call 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com, 800-500-8384. I want to talk to you about something, and I I don't want to make this into a big deal, but I I feel um, that it is important to share this with you because if uh, if I missed it, uh, there's a lot of people that are missing it. As you know, that my uh, uh, my family we have a um, a rich history of suicide, and. Um, we have had a suicide in my wife's family this last year. And um, I've had a couple of others in my family that have died from suicide. And I have had two scares in the last 
three, four years with my own children uh, with suicide. Uh, and it, it is, it's an epidemic. It is absolutely an epidemic. Uh, and all of the things that are going on in the world are making things much, much worse. All of these lockdowns, the masks, the everything, even even things like the school board meetings where you start to feel like you are powerless, it will grind on you. If you uh, if you have been listening to the program, um, I hope you haven't noticed, uh, but I have uh, I have been in a very, very dark place since um, since I went to the Middle East. Um, my experience over there damn near broke me. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I just wasn't able to get over it for a while. Uh, the life and death and the scale of it, uh, was just the ups were way up and the downs were way down. Uh, and I just couldn't, uh, get past it, I guess. I, it, and I thought everything was normal and natural. And as things began to pile on here with the things that I tell you every day, uh, it just got worse and worse. And I never thought I, I am prone to clinical depression. I haven't, I haven't had it like this since I was 25 years old. And, uh, last week I started having, um, really very dangerous and dark thoughts. And I thought, yeah, you know, I should call my doctor. Uh, and, uh, and so I did. And, I cannot believe that I missed it for this long, uh, but he is treating me for uh, clinical depression. And I today feel I felt this way a couple of days ago and a little bit yesterday. And today I drove in and I'm like, I am clear. I am. The clouds have parted and I am back to where I need to be. And uh, I just I'm only telling you this. This is going to be used against me. Wait, they're going to say all kinds of things about this. I'm only telling you this because I think it's critically important that you understand that you may feel like it's normal to be depressed. I thought it was very, very normal for me to feel the way I was feeling because of the news of the day and what's happening in Afghanistan, what we were involved in, uh, I thought it was very normal. And I will tell you only God kept me in this seat and only God kept me alive. Um, but uh, it, it's, it, it may very well start out to be something normal. But there is a difference between normal depression and clinical depression. And please, please be hyper vigilant in your own life and in your own family. As I said, my first reaction when my kids start to, you know, talk, I ask them all kinds of questions. And uh, my uh, one of my daughters, I caught it early ish. Um, she wasn't talking to me about it, but she was talking to uh, uh, somebody else about it in the family. And we caught it. And the minute I heard the things that she was saying, I knew what it was. And I took her right to the hospital. I am hyper vigilant on this. I missed it in my own self. Please, please, if you are feeling at the end of your rope, 
please know that your mind, it can play tricks on you. And please see a doctor uh, and get help. Please. Okay. Today is the 135th uh, anniversary of the dedication of the Statue of Liberty. And I love the story of the Statue of Liberty because the Statue of Liberty is it, it, it points us in the right direction. But we have so misunderstood the Statue of Liberty. First of all, it's not a gift from France. I mean, it, they did give it to us, but it wasn't a gift. It was more like, here, can you take this thing? Because they were no, seriously. I mean, France doesn't give gifts like that. Who gives a gift like that? Gee, I hope they don't have another. I hope they like it because we can't put it in a closet. And every time a Frenchman comes, go pull it out of the closet, man. Put it up real quick. I mean, that's a really risky gift. And that's not what they were doing. They weren't they weren't giving us a gift. They dumped it off in boxes and like, hey, hey hope you can put it together. Huh? That's what happened. I don't know that this is accurate. It is absolutely. Wait, accurate. What, why did they have it in the first place? They had it in the first place because one mm-hmm. one guy who was uh, an artist wanted to sell. I think it was Egypt, a great colossus that would stand at the uh, foot of the um, of the canal. And uh, Egypt was like. We don't need that. It's like, oh, crap. I want to build a really big statue. So then he was talking about the French and the French were going through all kinds of trouble because of socialism and the people in France, the leadership in France, many of the leaders in France needed to convince people that America had the answer. And so what they did is they were like, hey, uh, they just got out of they just stopped slavery, the Civil War. They broke the chains of that and they've come back together and they are really striving to do things and they are really making an impact on freedom. We should be more like them instead of more like Karl Marx. And so we'll take this. We'll get this artist guy who's been pitching this statue all around the world. Uh, not that statue, just a giant person. I just want to make just, a statue of a giant person. That's just it. Like giant people. Statues. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll get him and we'll have him draw something up for America. And uh, then we'll go pitch it to all of the rich people trying to convince them that we need to we're, we're going to have a revolution here. And it's going to be a Marxist revolution, and that's really bad. And so maybe you guys should help us promote liberty in the American understanding here in France. That's way better than France just dumped it here and said, please put it together. That's a great well, that's, story. That's why context, I guess, matters, Stu. Yeah. Gee, I, context I, matters. Well, what, especially but, when the context reverses what the story but said. What, no, no. But so they <laughs> built it. Yeah. They had it. They made their point And they're like, Crap, now we got to ship it over to them. And they dumped it in a park. And they were like, oh, yeah, good time. Bye bye. <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> OK, not, that is what happened. This is, you're basically the history channel right there. Right there. That, that's that is it. it. <laughs> that's the way history should be understood. So the statue of liberty you know she's got these big huge feet nobody really notices she's got broken chains around her ankle because she broke the chains of slavery she's holding the tablets people think it's the ten commandments it's it's not it's our declaration of independence and our laws our constitution and declaration of independence that's why it says july 4 1776 on those tablets and then it's not a crown those are rays of light of the of the dawning sun that is coming up from behind her. That's what the crown is. Okay. Uh, and the torch is called imprisoned lightning. 
the torch was made because uh, America was I mean, France really was, too, but uh, leading the way on electrification for lights. And so that torch is called imprisoned lightning, and it's really supposed to represent not a flame, but an electric light. Okay, and it was to, to, to show what can be done if man is free. But we bastardized all that. So let me tell you the story the way you're supposed to hear it. But let me take a quick break first. Real Estate Agents I Trust is our sponsor. This is my company, so you know. Um, this is a company that we put together that is a free service to you. But we were trying to figure out, my brother and I, uh, been trying to figure out a way. How do you vet real estate agents? And we've always sucked at selling our house. Always sucked. And I don't know how to, you know, you just find one and you're like, will you sell my house? And they're like, yeah. Okay, me sign. Uh, that's the way it's always been with me. But there is a way to actually find out who the best is, who the people have the best shot and the best track record in your area of selling. And and when it comes to real estate agents, there's a huge divide. Well, we're going to help you navigate that. When you tell us you're going to try to buy a house over here or you're selling a house over here, we'll find the best real estate agent or real estate agents in that area according to things that we're looking for, and we'll pass them on to you. Usually, I mean, our, I think we try to guarantee it within an hour, but it's usually within five or ten minutes that you'll have a name uh, if we have somebody in your area. So all you have to do is just contact us and tell us where you are and where you're selling or buying, and we'll find that person for you. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Then you interview them yourself. Me sign. Try to do a little more than you sell house. You know, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. 10 seconds station ID. So a few years ago, I worked with this amazing choir called the uh, Millennial Choir uh, and Orchestra, and they they put together some music, patriotic music. But I I was involved and I asked them, would you would you please reframe some of these things? Uh, and they they wrote a uh, they wrote a song called uh, the new Colossus and it has an opera singer in it and everything. Please start playing this here. So as I told them the story that I just told you a little more eloquently uh, about what the Emma Lazarus poem actually means and what the statue actually stands for, I thought it was appropriate that. It starts kind of like this, this warm embrace, this, oh man, I'm here to send me your troubled, tired, wretched, flea-ridden pieces of garbage that can't make it to our shores, because I'm going to hold them, and I'm going to, I'm going to give them some medicine for their boo-boos, and they're not going to have to pay for it, because... I'm the Statue of Liberty. I'm the mother of exiles. And so I love all children with boo-boos. Okay? So that's that's the beginning of this. I wanted it to reflect what everybody thinks. Everybody says 
that that Emma Lazarus poem means. But that's not what it means. I mean, have you looked at that chick? She is pretty fierce. She looks like a dude in the first place. I mean, hey, and I'm not judging. It may have been our first trans figure. So uh, she looks like a dude and she's kind of like scowling, kind of like back off. Have you noticed that? No, I'm not giving you my number. No, don't text me. Hey, my eyes are up here. Okay, that's what the statue looks like she's saying. Uh, and so what, what is that all about? Because that's not a mom that you're like, oh, I got a poo-poo. Will you just hold me, take care of me, feed me, give me welfare? That's not what she's saying. So this, the Statue of Liberty is based on the Great Colossus. And it is a uh, it was a giant a giant statue, you know, in a skirt, a guy. And he had, I think he had a, a torch and a sword, one in each hand. And he had his legs on one uh, harbor, uh, one foot on one harbor and another one on the other harbor. And your boat would go underneath his skirt. I don't know how accurate that statue was. I don't want to know. I don't. It was Greece. Okay. We probably, you can do the math. So he's, He's standing there, and that was to say, don't screw with us. We'll chop you up, and we are vigilant, so don't screw with us. That's the great Colossus. The statue is the new Colossus. And here's the Emma Lazarus poem. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand. A mighty woman with a torch whose flamed whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, meaning the flame here is invention, um, uh, forward thinking. You can do anything. And her name, the mother of exiles from her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. This is really important. It's not like, hey, you know, give me your tired, your poor, your heart. She says, keep your ancient lands and your storied pomp. In other words, you know, all your guilds, all your high and mighty tile, uh, titles, all your elites, all your princes, your dukes, your earl, shove them up where the sun doesn't shine. We're not interested. Keep your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. That's the way we read that part, yearning to breathe free. But I thought it was important to start the way everybody thinks. But then the song takes a turn. And it starts to seem maybe, I don't know, a little stronger. silent lips give me your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to be breathe free the wretched refuse from your teeming shore (laughs) 
this is the way it's supposed to be understood. It's supposed to be understood with her saying, keep all your crap. Okay, you give me the people that you say can't make it. Look at what we're doing to society right now. There are those who are good, those who are bad, those who will play along, those who won't, those who will get the vaccine, those who won't, those who will gladly give their children up to elites to educate and those that won't. The Statue of Liberty looks for those who won't. Give me all the people you have rejected. Give them the people who are just yearning to be free just to say, get out of my life. I don't need you. I can do it. My community can do it. Give me the wretched refuse from your teeming shore. Send these the homeless, the tempest tossed to me because I lift my lamp beside the golden door. by the way is the millennial choir and orchestra you can find that in many other uh songs about america that uh uh i worked on with them helped inspire some of the uh, songs on it it's called to be an american by the millennial choir and orchestra an amazing all-volunteer orchestra and a choir that is thousands of people strong this is the Glenn Beck Program. All right. The shortage of the economy is upon us, and it is not going away anytime soon. In fact, if anything, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And it won't get better under this administration, quite frankly. You know me. I like to prepare. Uh, and uh, some would like to do it because a zombie apocalypse is upon us. I don't think it is. And then I listen to President Biden and I'm like, hey, he might be a zombie. I'm just saying. Prepare for things. Inflation, natural disasters. They all look really similar in the uh, aftermath. MyPatriotSupply.com carries a wide variety of products from survival gear to emergency first aid kits to water purifiers, which are going to be so important. Long-term food storage, of course, even sprouting seeds so you can grow your own food. If you act now, your order will ship quickly, arrive discreetly at your door in unmarked boxes for your privacy. You let your neighbors know what you want. Uh, not my Patriot Supply. 
Get MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Go there. Get what you need. MyPatriotSupply.com. And head over to BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn for 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. Uh, get some uh, get some duct tape right now. I'll wait. I'll stall here for a bit. But you got to get some duct tape because you got to wrap it around your head because your head's going to explode. And uh, when it does, it's not going to the duct tape won't stop your head from exploding. You just have to wrap your head tightly in it. Uh, and then at least you'll have all the pieces when you get to the you know emergency room. And they look at you and go, oh, have you been vaccinated? And you're like, my head has exploded. They're like, I know, but have you been vaccinated? Anyway, after that argument, they'll have all the pieces to put your head back together. So grab the duct tape because here we go. Last year, current uh, students and alumni of the Coastal Carolina University Department of Theater gathered together to fight racial injustice and they created a list of demands for the faculty and the administrators i love that i love people who have a list of demands according to the students website um, and you can see it at ccutheater.com here are just a few of the things they demanded extensive and reoccurring diversity equity and inclusion training for faculty and staff with disciplinary consequences if not upheld I love you already as a student department wide ban on phrases like colorblind casting. Wait, what? Oh, a requirement to hire two people of color, faculty or staff members by 2025 and a public apology to all people of color students for all of the inequity, inequity, inequity and trauma that they have experienced. Oh, my gosh. Who's got a boo boo? Let me get a Band-Aid. Well, the faculty complied. Eh, wrong answer. The students have now been running the show. And now these same theater students are refusing to go to class. Until our next guest, Professor Steve Ernest, is fired. Now, why should he be fired? (sighs) Dare I even tell the story? (sighs) It boils down to this. Yes, and I'm going to say it. He wasn't outraged enough. Here's what happened. A guest artist at the university met with two students after a class one student said she felt so isolated as a person of color and wanted to get know to get to know more non-white students the guest artist suggested well you might want to make a group of non-white students that you can get together and you can talk about it so they proceeded together to write down the names of non-white students in the theater department on the board while they brainstormed ideas <sighs> Well, they forgot to erase the board after they left, and the next class of actors entered the room. Now, when I say actors, what I mean are primed revolutionaries, really. They saw the list, and they were outraged. They staged a protest, refusing to go to class to show their disgust. There is a list of all of the minorities, all of the people of color in the theater department on the board. Now, you may have noticed that our next guest hasn't even entered the story yet. 
So when it comes to light that it was all a misunderstanding, the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee wrote to the theater department students to apologize to them for how they may have been affected by this incident. Again, the incident being that students' names had been written on a board. So now Mr. Steve Ernest comes in. And he replied to the email from the committee saying, sorry, but I don't think this is a big deal. I'm really sad that people get their feelings hurt so easily. And they're going into theater. Ha ha ha. Yes, because you're going to get your feelings hurt all the time in theater. But he can't say that. For this, the students protested again, boycotted their classes, calling for him to be fired. On September 20th, the Dean of Humanities and Fine Arts Department told Mr. Ernest not to come to class to send her his syllabus. He was suspended from teaching. He joins us now, along with the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education uh, and their Faculty Legal Defense Fund to push back against the university who seems to be working towards his termination. Steve, how are you, sir? I'm amazed at your storytelling ability. That was kind of wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to hear you more. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, So, uh, Steve, did I get that story right? Absolutely, spot on, and uh, and well told. Uh, yeah, you you unfortunately uh, everything that you said was true. <laughs> uh, and your your email was not about oh who's got a boo boo like my email would have been, but your email was you guys are going into theater. You can't be this raw, correct? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, you know, I mean, no one is more supportive of. Of students that I have been, and it was just, you know, guys, move on. Let's let's focus on on what you need to be doing right now in your in, in your training, and not and not all of these, you know. And this is not the first um, situation like this. And you know, I'm, uh, it, we, we all want diversity, equity, and inclusion, but you know, this has just been pushed too far. Can you tell me why they wanted a department-wide ban on phrases like colorblind casting? That one I, I I didn't really understand. I mean, you know, we've been doing this for we've been doing this for for two decades now. You know, colorblind casting and and casting of 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 people that, uh, you know of color in you know non traditional roles. And yeah. Shakespeare has just been it's been very common in the theater. Um, you know, I came from California to South Carolina, where at a school where I taught thirty percent white people. You know, colorblind casting was just. We, we didn't really even factor that ever into the situation. Right. You know, I mean, and it is funny because, you know, we've been doing this for two decades. Orson Welles did it with Shakespeare in the 1920s or early 1930s, where it was an all black cast of Othello, except for him. Uh, and now mm. he gets hammered because he put blackface on to play that. Oh, my gosh. He did an all-black cast except for one white cat. Yeah. Yeah. In the 1920s or 30s. I mean, just never anything is enough. It's just never enough. Um, So uh, so what's what's happening now? You're you're with fire uh, and they're representing you, right? Yes, uh huh. And, and you know, um, well, nothing's really happening. I, you know, we've um, there, there have been a few meetings that I was not in attendance of with uh, with lawyers, and um, yeah, I've been told that um, they 
want me to resign or they'll terminate me. Um, but I don't really know the reason um, other than what we have in front of us here. So, um, yeah, it's just a, been a, just a time of um, me doing not very much, working on a few projects of my own and uh, just waiting. Wow. So let me ask you the the mob mentality on the university campus. Have they just taken over our universities? Mm, Yeah, we're starting to see that, you know, and it's not only at at, at Coastal Carolina University. And this was, a you know, we don't have these kind of incidents there. I don't I don't know of many ever, but we are seeing this. You know, and not only I've been fortunate enough not only to meet fire, but also counterweight, which is another um, organization like this that protects free speech, though more on an international uh, level. Mm -hmm. And this is happening in England. This is happening in France. uh, This is happening in countries all around the world now uh, at, at, at institutions of higher education where the mob mentality is demonstrating against this faculty member or that for whatever type of language uh, that they've used and, and hurt feelings and this kind of a thing. So, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's something that I'm really intent on stepping out there and, and slowing down and uh, getting people just to come back to reason. Um, so, but if you can't do it there, I mean, you know, there's, I, I really believe, Steve, there has to be almost a parallel economy because things are going so crazy now that I, I don't know where to send my kids to college. Um, you know, I, I'd rather have them not go to college and just find different ways to teach them uh, the things they need to know because it's all, it's seemingly almost all indoctrination. It has nothing to do with higher education. And having been in it for uh, 30 years, I can say that there has certainly been a move in that direction. Um, you know, and a lot of people feel just the same way that you do, that uh, these are just, uh, you know, liberal uh, training boot camps now with uh, very little to do with uh, intense subject, subject of the study uh, matter or to learn discipline and other things like this that, that we learned, you know, uh, back in the day. Steve, I, I can't tell you, uh, my, uh, uh, my professor, I was in high school, and we had a, a doctor of theater who uh, uh, taught us, and was, I went to an art school, and uh, he was amazing, uh, Dr. Beeth. He changed, he changed my life and, and opened me up to so many things. I happen to know one of your uh, students, because I just hired her. Uh, I think she's absolutely brilliant, and she raves about you. Uh, and, uh, I would love to know if, if you don't get this job back, uh, you know, if there's anybody who's looking for a theater professor, uh, I'd love to be able to pass it on because my daughter wants to be in theater. Um, and luckily I happen to know some really good people that, uh, you know, were very successful in, in that, uh, arena that are not part of this liberal cabal. And so she's learning from those people. But when she goes to college, I know what she's going to face, especially in theater. It's always been a little crazy. You have to be a little crazy to be in theater in the arts. Um, and, you know, I, I think people like you who are willing to stand up and say, look, I, we, I'm not a racist. We all want to get along. We all want, you know, fairness, et cetera, et cetera, and equality. But 
none of this nonsense is happening in the classroom. None of it. We're here to learn about this topic. And uh, if you if you don't go back, I'd love to help you find a job. <laughs> that would be, you know, and I think a lot of this maybe had to do with a, what I call pandemic frustration. Some people out in California have, have asked me if, if this is not part of that, uh, who are in theater, who are professors of theater in California, because the world of theater has been literally shut down for two years. You know, we've been hit hard as, as any industry. And so there's been a lot of frustration out there and, and just an unusual amount of hatred going on just because of, of what what the future holds yeah um out there it is i would hate to be uh, a student at this time in the world because they're being told the lies that you'll never make it uh that uh the world is going to you know burn itself out in 20 years i mean the, the it is such a bleak picture uh that the i think the lies that are being told about america and and the globe I, w- I would hate to be a student now. I don't know. I don't know how you would get up every morning and say, hey, I've got a bright future ahead of me. Steve, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Uh, theater professor at Coastal Carolina University facing termination over racism charges because he said, who's got a boo-boo? Except he said it better than that. Car shield. Uh... <laughs> He probably is like, please don't say I said that because I didn't say that. Do you have a horse and buggy in the garage at home? Yeah, I mean, just in case the car breaks down and you don't have a way back and forth. I mean, maybe we should go back to the horse and buggy thing. And I think if it wasn't for the enslavement of those poor animals, I think the left would be fine with horse and buggy. Except they would probably, well, they wouldn't notice it if they were Uyghur slaves that were pulling the buggy they'd be pissed if it were horses but as long as they were chinese uyghur slaves pulling your carriage they'd be fine with it wouldn't even notice anyway you're gonna have to find another way to work when your car breaks down because uh, car parts are getting really really hard to find and uh, do you have the money for a rental car while yours is in the shop you need car shield they will help you when your car breaks down every step of the way roadside assistance rental car while yours is being fixed mechanic of your choice and they pay everything directly so you're not waiting around for them to pay you carshield.com slash beck save 10 percent right now carshield.com slash beck deductible may apply So it's just come out now. The guy who bought Jeffrey Epstein's luxury jet fleet uh, is suing the estate. He says he can't shake the stigma. He bought it before he knew everything about Jeffrey Epstein, apparently. (laughs) Uh, And now he's got the Lolita Express. And he's like, I mean, I can't have the Lolita Express. Everybody is. <laughs> and he says he's just it's just disgraced him, his company and everything else. And so he's suing them because he can't do anything with them. 
And I'm thinking now's the time to buy a really nice jet. Yeah, because I don't care. Yeah, I, I, I want. Well, the jet. I would probably want like an exorcism I'm re- done. I'm going to rename it. Yeah, or and do I'm a gonna, deep cleaning. Yeah, I'm going to deep, deep, deep clean. <laughs> I'm going to pull out all mm-hmm. the fabrics. Right. Uh, and I might have a priest, a rabbi, you yes. know, every a shaman. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we'll fly from country to country we'll, and get every religion. That's right. We'll to come in. We'll burn the sage and everything <laughs> right. in there, but. Uh, <laughs> I'd want to do that, but after that, I mean, it's an airplane. There is the yeah. The question is, uh, does it uh, fly and land? That's what I want to know about it. Does well, it I want to know. Does it fly? Do you land? have to have an underage girl on board? I don't for think it it's to powered land? by Lolitas. <laughs> you don't think so? No. Okay. So, like the, in the fuel tank, there's never been a bunch of fourteen-year-old girls. Well, that I cannot say. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I certainly cannot. <laughs> I would want to know some of those things. <laughs> of all things, you know. Okay. Just. J- I just want the express part. Not, not the Lolita, the Lolita part. part. Not the Lolita part. It's just part. the express. It's just an express. Yeah. Get me I somewhere I mean, you fast. could convince me this was a plane of history. Huh? huh? <laughs> yes, I suppose. A very important plane of history. I mean, it's not like... I mean, presidents have flown in this plane. Yeah, and be, but it, it is not, true. That's not good. That's hmm. not good. I mean, I wouldn't buy Hitler's plane. No, you know? no, I would not. And, you know, Epstein was... It's a good point. Was... You know, I mean, he wasn't Hitler. No, no. but but he was I, a bad. He was yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. And uh, now, yeah. How, how would it work? Because obviously, uh, at any point, he could come back and take the plane, considering he's still alive. Clearly. Dun, 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 Wait, dun. he's still. I didn't think he was. Yes, he escaped. You didn't see this? Okay. No, I yeah. didn't. He's, he's. It's like where in the world is? So Carmen did San Hillary Diego? Clinton help oh. him escape? Oh, was yeah. she in there trying to kill him? And then he's like, "Let's just get out of here together." And she was like, "Okay." <laughs> Hit the road. I've got the Lolita Express right over here. <laughs> this is the Glenn Beck program.